All right, welcome to Podcast Nonsense. This is episode two. I've got Anna Vera Dudash here. Did I get that right? Yeah, well done after uh, two and a bit years of friendship. <laughs> that's finally a, get my name right. That's a tough one. It's a tough one to say. I usually just call you Anna. <laughs> I think this is the first time you actually said my name right. This whole time we've known each other. Hey, it's for the podcast. Good cause. Okay, um, so we had Jack in here before. Mm-hmm. and he had had an experience where he had a female friend tell him that he doesn't like, that she didn't like being called sexy. Interesting. She said that that wasn't a good qualifier to like use on a woman. Was it Jacques calling her sexy that she objected to, or just men in general? Wow. He's going to hear that. No, it's a genuine question. <laughs> I mean, it, is it something that's specific to a person or for as a general she said it was uh men in general she said the only time she liked being called sexy was when she was having sex interesting and then he was confused because there was another friend of his at like some event that they had later mm-hmm. who was like dressed to the nines and he was like i really want to tell you that you look hot but I was told that I'm not allowed to do that. And she was like, why else did I get dressed up like this? I think there's a difference between telling someone they look hot or attractive and sexy. I think it's maybe in the word mm. specifically sexy because it connotes someone picturing having sex with you, really. I mean, if you're going to get honest about it. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think if someone who I didn't know very well or a stranger or even just someone who I only saw as a friend came up to me and told me I looked sexy, it would probably creep me out. Yeah. If my boyfriend tells me I look sexy, you know. That's what I told him. I told him that there was probably a gate. Right. You know, and that she wasn't comfortable with him yet. You know, and after like romance was involved, then maybe she might be accepting of being called sexy. Yeah, I think it's the use of the word sex. Yeah. At all, in any capacity. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, well, that's that me. makes sense. My two cents. So, you guys were looking for a new place. Yeah, we found one. Um, actually, Randall was just driving by. I think he was just driving down St George Street in Los Feliz. Saw an apartment rental sign. Called up the guy. Went had a look. Loved it. Facetimed me in. I was at work, so he like did a little walkthrough with me on Facetime, and I went and had a look and. It was empty already, so we put in the application and got it immediately. So oh, we wow. officially have the keys, but won't be moving in until um, we can get all the power and everything, you know, signed across to the new place. Oh, so it's all set up. It's done. Well, the lease is signed. We just, I mean, you can't So this have... is going to be the new place. Yeah, this is the yeah. new place. Wow. And I was thinking I was so excited because it's in such a central location. Still, we can have people over for game night. You guys can hang out oh that's fantastic for people that don't know uh los fleas is like a very very young very cool hip area of uh east la yes it is it's very cool very cool it's uh the neighborhood i've been residing in for the whole time i've lived in la amazingly yeah mm-hmm. you know it struck me actually i'm i'm showing my place to someone this afternoon and like i never thought of my roommates as my friends one of them probably you know i still don't but the other one i was like wow i see this person every day i'm not gonna see her anymore and i was saddened it was very very surprising you know when you live with someone it's such an intimate experience and now she's like literally gonna be in my life we say we'll get coffee but who knows if that's actually you know the case um and then it's just like oh 
never gonna see you again and then they're gone then they're gone yeah it's abandoned, super weird right it's super weird i mean you know not that i have abandonment issues i've so uh ian who was over here before my cousin um when he used to work at pixar up right. in san francisco and when he was coming down here to work at disney he lived with me for like six months mm-hmm. But I never really saw him because he was working overtime. So he'd leave before I'd wake up and he'd come home after it. And every now at like every other week, there would be a day where he'd be like home on a Saturday. And I'd be like, oh. I live with someone. Yeah, let's go hang out and do something. You know, yeah. we go see a movie or something like that. But so when he when he left, there's not really a big, big change. Yeah. I mean, I got this new job um, in you know, producing. So, I mean, my schedule is going to be intense. Yeah. Let's tell people a little bit about what you do. Well, not too much. Okay. Well, I mean, you've been like, uh, you've worked for visual effects houses. Yeah. I've worked as, yeah. I've worked as a coordinator. I've worked as a producer, um, as an AD on TV shows and films. Um, and you know, as a writer as well. And so this new job is, uh, combining a bit of everything I get to pitch stories and pitch segments and then also produce them um right now you know I'm just getting integrated into the company so I'm sort of learning the ropes and producing a little bit and I cut a couple of segments yesterday because you know we needed it we needed to deliver and I was like hey I can use an avid and punched it out oh crazy yeah that was funny that's pretty awesome you know I don't know if you ever get into that hole I think I was doing this a year ago like upstairs I was cutting and just getting into that hole of like editing for five hours mm-hmm. and not realizing the time's passed. Yeah. I forget that that happens. Yeah. And then I'm like, wow, I haven't stood up in five hours. It's really good with editing. I feel like that happens to me when I'm editing too. It happens to me sometimes when I'm compositing, but it's rare that I think on like look development stuff, mm-hmm. I get lost in that, mm-hmm. you know, because that's just an open-ended like creative process, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of how editing is, right? Where you're, you know, like you watch it over and over again and you cut a frame and like it matters, yeah. you know, and you're like, that's closer, feel it. but that's not it, you know, and you yeah. cut like two frames or three frames and you're like, that's closer, is that, you know, and there's always that, like when you cut it right, when you've got the right frame, you play it back and it's just like, that's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. You feel you it know? in your gut. My dad, my dad edited, you know, my whole childhood. I sat next to him watching him cutting. Oh, really? Yeah. I actually, um, he translated some documentaries that he made into several languages for European markets. And I was, you know, sitting literally by his side when, while he cut. So I ended up learning all of the, the film in Romanian, in German, in Hungarian and in English off by heart. And I didn't speak, you know. I didn't speak fluent Romanian when I was five years old. Um, but yeah, he always said that you you feel it in your gut. Mm-hmm. Like that's when you cut, when you feel it. And still, like, I feel like, you know, people are assistant editors or whatever for several years before they actually necessarily understand that because that's not something that's taught. No, you know, no, they don't actually tell yeah. you when to put the cut necessarily. Like, oh, on a movement or on a whatever, but it's a feeling. An instinct, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it's a visual literacy, right? Like that right. happens from watching the good movies and the and the bad movies. I like watching the bad movies because of the bad work. Mm. You know, like when you watch bad edits, mm-hmm. like it's easier to know a bad edit is a bad edit than yeah. it is to know a good edit is a good edit. I mean, you talk to lay people and they're like, 
best Oscar for best editing. What is what are they even talking about? Like that mm. film wasn't edited. That mm. that's just magically how it falls, right? All the footage just comes out of the camera oh, like man. that. Oh man, there's so many different like processes. Mm. You know, I think there are three people that make the movie. I think there's a director mm-hmm. who's directing the actors, right? Mm-hmm. Who's playing with people, and then there's the cinematographer who's playing with the camera mm-hmm. and the cinematographer can tell a totally different story than the director. Well, the director influences the cinematographer usually. Right. He's, he's telling him what to do. Yeah. But, you know, it's the guy like framing the shots. Yeah, and but stuff. he sets the framework. So the director is, I think, I mean, I think it's the writer, the director, and then the editor. You think the writer's in there? Well, well are obviously. You kidding obviously, me? obviously. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to slap you. That's what I'm, so I'm, that's how uh, like cinematographer centric. I am right. Like so, like that's that's what what I do and what I want to do. So that's what I I think is one of the big three players. I guess so. We both agree that the editor and the director are both making their own movie. But okay, so <laughs> Patrick, um, we show up to set. There's a director. There's a full crew cinematographer. Post is all taken care of. What are you shooting? What do you mean? What are you shooting? Well, what what are you going to shoot? You're going to shoot what was written. Right, right, right. Right. There has to be something written in order for something to be shot. Right. I mean, I guess that's the I guess that's the first stage, right? That's yes. the first form of the movie. Well, I, I don't remember who said this, but they it's always said that a film is made three times. It's first made in the writing, then made in the filming, which is directing and editing, and then it's made in the editing or told, like I think they say told. Mm-hmm. So it's told three times. And it can be you can come up with I mean vastly different movies we did this exercise in film school which was my favorite the first editing exercise we had was uh we were given a it was a western from the 50s i think i can't remember but we were given all the assets all the sound the scripts marked up everything the exact same the avids all set up with the same way and we had to cut the same scene and we all came out with completely different scenes with completely different energy and then we were given you know, a word that we had to use as like a buzzword to make a, a one minute little film off. And everyone obviously made completely different films. And that's the, that's the amazing thing. It's like, I wonder how, how, like, how wonderful would it be if we had the money and the ability to like make, make one, write one script and then just give it to a bunch of directors and see what they do with it. And then have like, it's an infinite process really, like how many varieties there could be of, of stories. It's like mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's good. That's really a good idea, you know, to write a story and then give it to like three or four people and have like four little short films in the same film. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. They kind of did that with um, the Twilight Zone. Um, Twilight Zone was like four individual productions. It was like mm-hmm. four little movies. And like Spielberg did one of them. Oh, weird. Yeah, and like they they were all like directed and written by different people. And have you seen Sherlock the BBC series? Yeah. Oh my god, that that reminds me of that because that's you know three episodes in a season, but they're ninety minute episodes, so it's three films. You get three movies. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that format. Oh my god, it's I mean the Brits are onto something. Yeah, and they did that with the Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. Black Mirror. I think is I like told that. you that about that one, right? I think you did. You know, my dad just emailed me on, I think like Wednesday or Thursday. And he was like, did you tell me about Black Mirror (laughs) on Netflix? And I was like, yeah, I told you about that like a year ago. Yeah. When my friend told me about it. Yeah. 
And um, he was like, it's really good. And I'm like, yeah, I told you about it before it was on Netflix. Yeah. And it was like straight up on the BBC. Yeah. Well, you know, transcontinental friends, that's what they're good for. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So if nobody's... This might be a spoiler alert. And we did a spoiler alert on the last episode. So if you haven't seen Black Mirror yet, you can uh, you can skip ahead. But I, I don't think this is a spoiler. Okay. If you're the prime minister, would you fuck the pig? Oh, my God. You know, that question has haunted me for years since I first saw that episode. Mm-hmm. Years. Literally, I, every now and then I'll just think about it. I mean, I'm a woman, so it's different. Right, a little bit right, different, right. but I mean, if we, ah, oh God, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, half of me thinks, you know, for the good of the country, yeah, you just do it, you know? And half of me is like, you don't negotiate with terrorists. Right. I mean, this is the, this is the thing. It's like all things being equal. Are we talking the exact same circumstances as the show? Yeah. Well, then, yeah, I think I would. If I was the prime minister and there was, you know, ransom and terrorists and all of that and the media attention, then I think I would have to. Yeah. And I think I'd have a choice. Because of the backlash? Yeah. I mean, there's going to be backlash no matter what you do, but at least this way you come out of it with some kind of, as a martyr in a way, you know, you sacrifice yourself. Whereas yeah, if you I, don't do it, it seems far more selfish. I guess it's about the spin. Right. It depends exactly. on your team. It depends on your team. <laughs> Doesn't everything? The guy on the show didn't have a very good team. No, that's true. I yeah. bet they could have spun it pretty, pretty different, pretty yeah. different story there. So, um, what are you writing now? Well, as of today, we have a locked draft of um, a drama, mm-hmm. feature-length drama, and we're also working on a bunch of things. I'm doing the first draft um, of a really, really dense outline so it's not like a you know a scribble draft um of a comedy it's a very bizarre comedy and then randall's breaking um another comedy and then we also have a horror that we're breaking so i mean it's yeah there's a lot going on and we have like other stories too which we're like oh yeah we need to get to that that's at good. some point that's it good. kind of feels infinite and overwhelming but in a, like a really good way yeah yeah in, in a busy way yeah, and in a in a I don't know if you ever had the experience of really wanting to do something creative and just not having any ideas. You know? I mean, we don't have a shortage of good ideas, which is great. Mm-hmm. Like I remember I remember just racking my brains to think of you know, I wanted to write a rom com, so I was like, God, I need to think of a rom com idea and I couldn't. And now for some reason these days it's just a wash with stories. For rom coms? Well, it's not just rom com, no. But you're just saying just, in general. Yeah. In general. It was just a, an example. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're writing every day, which is a really good. Oh, that's a great habit. Yeah. You know, it was a, uh, about five or six years ago, I um, wanted to write a novel and I had no idea how to go about like the discipline of writing a novel. And mm-hmm. I read uh, Stephen King's book on writing and completely inspired me. I've never, still never read a Stephen King book, Mm -hmm. but you know, I've seen the movies and whatever and read that book and it was so inspiring. And he said, he just sits down every day and writes 2000 words and he, it's a ritual. He has his place, he sets it up. And I think that's the one thing that um, really successful people have in common is that they have rituals, right? So I was like, well, I want to be one of those really successful people. So I'm going to start doing this. And I was at a point in my life where I was traveling a lot and moving around and working sort of 
crazy things. So I was able to actually give myself the time to do that. And I wrote 2000 words every single day for a year, no matter what. And I finished a novel and it's not very good and no one's ever going to read it. Yeah, but it's, you did it. But I did it. You did it. I did it. How many pages is 2000 words? Um, it's, a, uh, it depends. It's about four or five, I guess. Four or five pages. Actually, people have read it. I lie. People read it and gave me notes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was interesting. Some people, a couple of people really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, whatever. I wrote it when I was like 22, who cares? Yeah. I mean, it's like a creative expression. You, yeah. You just, whatever, what you do with that book is after you write like the two famous books, you drop that book <laughs> and you make a ton of money, even the though it's like, yeah. The, right. I think that's like what dan brown did well <laughs> that's the thing about about writing is that we're not even attached to the outcome of the scripts you know i mean we have a list of people we're going to send them to who who will read them and who have clout but you know films take decades to make sometimes yeah you know yeah scripts like some someone once told me that you know she was a songwriter and she said that every song finds its home uh, and I feel like it's the same way with stories. Like every every story finds its home. Yeah. You know, if it's supposed to be made into a film or just used as like an exorcistic process or whatever, it's it serves a purpose. Yeah, I feel like that too. Um, when last week before we did the podcast, I was like all wound up and really like nervous about it, mm-hmm. you know? And it was like silly to be nervous about it because it's like it's the second podcast. Like nobody's... Nobody's going to listen to it. You know, right. there's going to be like 10 people that listen to it. And um, it's because of that, like, you have to remove yourself from the attachment of it being anything other than what it is. Exactly. You know, Outcomes. you have to just go into the creative process. I want to write a story because I want to write a story. Exactly. Not because I'm going to sell a story, not because it's going to get made into a movie, but because it's like, yeah. you can have the intention of it, of it happening, but you really have to just like do the thing to do the thing exactly and yeah. i think that's why you know a lot of film a lot of people i went to film school with a lot of friends who wanted to be writers and who were determined to have films produced before 30 have given up and i think it's because you know when you don't do it for that reason and you don't have immediate success then i mean it's really hard work frankly like it's really hard work oh totally Totally. It's exhausting. So if you're not doing it for the love of it, then... I mean, getting up every day and doing the same thing every day in and of itself is, like, difficult, Mm. you know? Um, I find it comforting. I really do. I get a lot of enjoyment out of the repetition. I started to do the the artist's way, Mm -hmm. where it tells you to wake up, you know, and then you do the three pages. Right. And I liked it when I was doing it, and then I stopped. Mm -hmm. And... That's the worst because once you stop, you're just you're just done. Well, I think um, the good thing about working with, you know, a writing partner who's also my boyfriend is that we hold each other accountable. And when I'm really excited about the story and he's having a hard time with it, you know, we we can really balance each other out. Which is, I mean, I don't know if I could do it without without that support. Oh yeah. You know, really being in it together. Like, okay, I'm doing this for myself, but I'm also doing it for, you know, the sum of us. You probably get some really good stuff on those days where you, like, didn't want to write. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know... Because writing when you want to write is one thing, but, like, writing when you don't want to write? Yeah, 
I mean, I, I have a funny experience with it because it's so habitual now. I mean, I wish it was like this with exercising. It's so not, but it's, I'm so in like just the habit of doing it mm -hmm. that I don't really have any feeling about like, God, I don't want to do this today. Um, and then I can click into the zone super quickly. So, so how long do you think it took to get to that It took writing the book. It took a year of... Oh, of, it took a year of doing it. Of doing it. Every, I mean, it, it happened at some point during that year, mm -hmm. but it was definitely that process. Yeah. And I was... And I think I can't tell you an exact time because I wasn't paying attention to that. I was focusing on finishing the book. Yeah. Um, which was... Yeah, I mean, it was... Still, it's... It's, it's such a great feeling of accomplishment knowing I can do that. And so, you know, Randall hadn't had the experience of r r drafting many versions of, of a feature, you know, getting to the end and then rewriting. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember when we were outlining, I was like, it's just fine. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Because I have had that experience of finishing something and then rewriting it. Yeah. Um, and you just need to have that experience once. When I was doing, when I was doing The Artist Way, I would... Right. I wasn't, I wasn't, apparently I wasn't doing it correctly where you're supposed to just like free form, like what's on your mind, mm -hmm. you know, like therapeutically, like I was writing like short stories mm -hmm. and there would be points in the short story where I would like, cause I would have this idea and I would sit down and like the language would be really good. The story would be really good and it would flow for like a page or two. Mm -hmm. And then I would reach that like sticking point. Mm -hmm. And that's that like moment where you either keep going or you go back and you revise some of this you finagle some of the stuff that mm -hmm. you've already got you know and I used to be that person that like goes back and just rewrites the sentence like eight times right you know right and because it's procrastination right you know and the uh, artist way really you know what you're talking about like sitting down and, and doing it every day like made me recognize those points where I get stuck mm -hmm. and just push through them and then you get this process in your brain where you say to yourself, it doesn't matter if the ne next sentence isn't good or bad mm -hmm. because I'm just going to keep writing. Mm -hmm. And some of it's going to be good and some of it's going to be bad. But mm -hmm. like, that's none of my business right now. Right now, my, my work is writing. I'd say that that's probably the most important part because there is... You, Aaron Sorkin rewrote the first scene of Social Network for a month. That's all he wrote for a month. This Whoa. is what I heard, right? Mm -hmm. So if even he needs to take that much time and care to fuss with something for that long over and over again, I mean, do you think his first draft was was what it ended up being? No way. Right, right. And I think we just, you know, we're so attached to outcomes and we're so attached to experiencing things in their final product, you know, in their ending that we forget or we don't have, we don't have experience with other people's first drafts. You know, we only have experience with ours. So, I mean, actually, I, I, I wrote to some writers. I was like, look, if is it possible to share, if you could share your first drafts with people or if we can find first drafts somewhere? I mean, I think it would be so helpful to a lot of writers to be like, oh, yeah, it starts off at about like 20%. And then you do four or five rewrites right, to get right. it to 100%. Right. So as long as you can get it to 20% in the first draft, then you've done a really good job. Oh, yeah, totally. I can totally see that. You know, and it's not, it's so funny. How funny is it to recognize that just that thinking is the block? Yeah, it's not even your writing. It's not anything you're doing. It's the way you're thinking about it. It's just the way you're thinking about it. And yeah. you're just going about your day and you're not even 
conscious of the fact that those things are blocking it's you. Wild, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, yeah. I so the only thought that freed me in the last in the last podcast was I thought to myself, you know, like I didn't listen to Joe Rogan's podcast until like the 400th episode. Right. So I've got like 400 episodes of like doing it wrong before like something really good happens. Right. You know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think that's the, I think, I think that's the key. I think the key is to creation is just doing it. Yeah. You know, just doing it and being divorced from whether or not it's good or it's bad. It's always going to be bad at the beginning. And it's not, I think that the, you know, labeling it like that is not necessarily productive either because it's not bad it is an experiment if this is all an experiment then it is exactly right for what this is fascinating yeah you know and you'll learn through experimenting and through experiencing so right yeah so all things being being equal they're not good or bad right they're just things yeah yeah i get it deep deep thoughts deep there you go (laughs) (laughs) um so what else is going on? Well, you mean apart from the new job and the script and the new place that women been doing the last week? It's a lot week? of stuff. It's One a lot week. of stuff. You like being busy though. You like giving yes. yourself a lot of stuff. Well, actually, it's funny that you, you mentioned that. We, we went to therapy this morning and the therapist was like, look, I know that you like packing like everything you possibly can into every single day, but it's not feasible. Like you can't you can't do that and still expect to be like happy and healthy and you burn yourself out. Um, and it's a really interesting theme that's actually been coming up with me with a lot of different people lately. I'm like, Oh yeah, I really, I don't take a lot of time because I feel like the second I take something away or I lower my expectations for myself or my standards, then I'm failing at it. You know, like, Oh, I'm only exercising twice a week, not three times a week. Well now I'm a big fat loser. You know what I mean? And that's, that kind of, it stops you. Well, it doesn't stop me. It just, because what I do is I, I then I'm like, okay, I'm going to push harder. I'm going to sleep less. I'm going to do more. And then if I don't do what I set out to do, I just feel like a failure. I mean, I don't have that problem of like then not of being like oh, that's having what inertia. I do. That's what I do. Yeah. How's your, your, I'm going to work out every day. And then when I don't work out on that second day, it's over. Yeah. No, but uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a funny kind of... Um, funny kind of thing it's like oh okay I, I recognize that i do that but i'm still not entirely convinced that it's bad or that it's the wrong thing you know making to-do lists for me has been a process of uh of figuring out where that balance is between this is a bigger goal that needs tinier tasks mm-hmm. and these tasks are too tiny right so now I just like I literally have a to-do list that I keep on my phone that's like uh, stuff that I need to pick up at Target, mm. and I have a to-do list for for the podcast, and I have a to-do list for work, and mm-hmm. I have a to-do list for I think I've got like six different to-do lists now. I made one for correspondence because I found out that I was what I was doing. I'd run into people all the time, and I'd be like, "Oh man, I haven't seen you in forever. Let's go have lunch." Mm-hmm. And then it would just never happen. Right. That's um, a great idea. So I had today, I had lunch with a friend that I haven't seen in a year. She was like, it's been a year since since we've seen each other. And I was like, no, it hasn't been a year. She's like, yeah, it's been a year. And it, wow. that blew my mind. So I'm making a list. Now, there was a day at work where I left. I had to work late. And I left the building at like 9. And I ran into a friend of mine that I haven't seen in a while. 
leaving the gym right next to mm-hmm. the office. And then I ran into an old coworker like five minutes later getting in the elevator because he was going to the same gym and he works mm. down the street now. And the next day at lunch, I ran into somebody that I hadn't seen in like three years that I used to work with, you know? And I, each time I was like, yeah, let's get together. You And I was after it, it happened like three times in a 24 hour span. Yeah. I was like, I have to write these down and I have to just like make time to sit down with people and to just see them and find out what's going on in That's their lives. But do you, do you have that sense of like, if you don't accomplish everything that you set out to, then you've somehow failed? Oh yeah. Yeah. All the time, all the time. And, uh, I know how that, I know the gross feeling that you get when you don't check the list. Mm. I have, I've had on my daily to do's, I've had meditate on my daily to do's for like five days and every day I get a notification when I wake up that's like yeah. all you have to do today all you have to do today is just sit down for 10 minutes and be be silent mm-hmm. you know and I like I haven't done it yet well you can do it I do that in the car a lot I feel like it's uh such a good use of time you know get mm-hmm. somewhere five minutes early meditate for five minutes that's what I did th- so this morning I had to go I had to go pick up like this little stand mm-hmm. for this mic. So I woke up early, went and I got that. And then I had uh, a two hour span before I had this lunch. So I like cleaned up a little and then I had an hour. So I was like, I'm going to go just to a coffee shop. I'm going to bring the book that I'm reading that I'm really enjoying. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to like sit there and have a cup of coffee and read for an hour. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And it was like really great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It's really so I think I'm gonna like give myself that space. Yeah. You know. I th- I I mean someone, um this woman that I'm close with tells me all the time that this is all an experiment, you know? And like finding balance is an experiment, you know, you go a little over the edge, you go back mm-hmm. away a little bit too far and it's it's just this constant process of like, you know, testing. Like, okay. How's this feel? How's this feel? Is this all right? Does this work? Does this not work? And it's, I mean, I think that we're always striving for like some perfect equilibrium in every part of our lives. That's never, maybe we'll get a moment of that every now and then, but it's just never, it's never sustainable, you know? Yeah. The world fluctuates too much. There are too many outside forces that intervene and it's like, well, now I, you know, I got a parking ticket. So my budget's off a little bit. Like it's just completely it's constantly changing you know i was thinking about that the other day it's so funny that you bring that up because uh maybe it was this morning but i was i was thinking about people that do exactly what you were talking about people that have the same routine every day Mm -hmm. and um because like tony robbins talks about having the same routine every day um like other people other people i can't think of names right now but um I hear it all the time and I just when I think of the concept of doing the same thing like the same thing every day mm. it in my mind it doesn't change you know like if I'm doing the same thing today it's going to be the same thing to, if I do the same thing tomorrow you right. know but like the whole universe changes in that 24 hour period so mm-hmm. all of the different like stimulus that you'll get while you're doing the same thing mm-hmm. is going to change so like inevitably you're going to get that parking ticket and it's going to throw things off, mm-hmm. you know? And so there has to be, there has to be a block like we were talking about that I'm not seeing yet that people that do the same thing every day know 
You mean like some sort of secret? Yeah. No. It's not well, a secret. It's not, but it's like there's a foundation in, in doing the same thing every day, you know? Exactly. So it's like having a stable relationship, you know? It frees up parts of your psyche to focus on... This is, this is why, like, the greatest artists and the most successful CEOs and everyone like that, This you read about them and it's, you read they have the same sleeping schedule, they eat the same food, they even wear the same clothes a lot of the time, they have the same time of day that they work because it frees up your mind from having to plan and schedule. You, if you know what you're doing, then even more of your brain can be used to focus on the tasks that you most want to be focusing on. Right, right. So, like, you know. And you know what that task is. Yeah. Because you've, like, gone through your list of tasks and you've been like right. tomorrow I'm going to focus on this or, or even if it's like on this. I have an hour to do emails or I have an hour this is the hour that I do exercise this is the hour that I do whatever writing you know I mean I'm not down to the point of like you know I'm always going to wear different clothes whatever I'm a girl it's mm-hmm. different I wish it weren't I wish I could just have a uniform but oh like do the Einstein thing like yeah. I'm going to wear a black shirt every day yeah Steve Jobs yeah yeah I'd love that if I could find one that I like enough. I have had, Randall and I have had the same breakfast for every single morning for better part of a year. What do you have for breakfast? Oh my God, it's so delicious. The um, Greek yogurt, the, the, I don't know how you say it, fahe, fahe, yeah, badge, yeah. Yeah. that one, um, with a banana and uh-huh. some um, Crispex cereal sprinkles on top for a little bit of crunch oh that's uh yeah that sounds pretty good oh my god every morning i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna be sick of this today and i'm never sick of it it's so delicious the only way i end up eating breakfast every day is if i have bananas so mm-hmm. that i can eat a banana because it's like quick or if i get a ton of eggs man you gotta make time for hard, breakfast. hard boil the eggs i love that too the hard boiled egg yeah. thing but you gotta make time for breakfast i sit down yeah. we eat it in silence it's a little ritual it's really, it's, it's very centering. Yeah. It's a good place to like go out from. Yeah. Do it. Breakfast. Breakfast is your friend. I have this fantasy that I'm going to go to bed at 10, sleep all the way through the night, wake up at five, eat bre- go for a run, eat breakfast, do my morning pages, <laughs> go off to my job. You know, that's, that's like that's every night when I go to bed, that's my fantasy. <laughs> and then I wake up at like 3.30 in the morning. Well, and my brain's like, you're done. You're done now. Get up. That's funny. I mean, that's what we do. We go, we go to bed at 10, get up at 6, do the breakfast routine, the morning routine. I go off to a coffee shop, write for two hours, go to work. Monday that's pretty to Friday. good. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I'm now I've, I've been, you know, it's been recommended to me that I cut my writing down to an hour since I'm working a new production job, which is like 10, 12 hour days. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe cut back a little bit on that. So I'm going to see how that goes. But still, same routine. Yeah. Get up, yeah. do the thing, and, you know, throw some self-care and exercise in there and yeah. presto. An hour is plenty of time, I think. Yeah, if you really sit, if it's a real hour. If you sit down and really do it for an hour, it is. But, I mean, look, we have, we set out um, deadlines for ourselves that we wanted to hit, which I hate moving. I really, it's like, God, I, want, I wanted these to be done a month ago. You know, mm-hmm. but whatever. It's just it is what it is. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Well, it's happening now. It happens in the time it's supposed to. Yeah. I guess. Um, I have a friend in town who's uh, who I went to film school with. Who, I mean, was extraordinarily talented as a student. Um, and he, right out of film school, he wrote a film with his 
uh, girlfriend and writing partner, which got made into a f- feature, which premiered at Sundance last week. Whoa. Yes, with Vincent Cassell. It's called Partisan. I'm awesome. plugging it for Ari. Uh, <laughs> for the five people who listen. Right. Um, mom will go see the movie. What? Mom will go see the movie. Your mom? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's been picked up. I know that... Uh, it's playing on Wednesday night, and we're going to go see it. He invited us. Um, I mean, the guy's a genius. Like, I pretty, feel pretty confident in Where's it? That. Where's it playing? I don't know. He hasn't gotten back to me. But, uh, but it's one of those things where I'm like, well, if he's doing that and he's 29, then, you know, I better get, get cracking. Dude, Frankie. Do you know Frankie? Yeah, he's, he's good friends with Randall. Yeah, Frankie just won a Sundance yeah. Film Festival award. Her short one, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh my god, so many people this year. Like other people that I'll tell you like offline. Um we got films got in and really? Oh, another film school um person. Her documentary short, uh, Kitty Green One was about uh actually I don't know what it's about, but it's set in Ukraine. And the guy who shot it, um, shot my thesis film. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, it's really funny what Randall went through a spate of like watching a bunch of Australian movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Wolf Bay, Creek. Sorry. Wolf. I don't think he actually watched that one, but he watched, <laughs> he watched these obscure Australian movies from the last couple of years that I'd never heard of because I'm not there. Um, which he then like would send me or send me links to. And I'm like, yeah, I went to film school with some of these people or that they graduated, you know, five years before me or a couple of years before me. I mean, yeah. my film school is like, you know, more and more, I'm like, wow, that was a pretty, pretty, pretty f- profound place. I mean, there are a lot of people who went there who are filmmakers now. Well, I mean, that's what they wanted to do, right? Absolutely. But I mean, come on, how many? Think about all the film schools there are in the world. I think it's weird, too. It's like uh, there's an age thing, too, that I feel like people start getting serious. Yeah. About their career and about their work. Well, the thing is about know? this place is that it's not, it doesn't hire people, nest, generally doesn't hire people straight out of high school, you know. Oh, not hire. You college? Know I mean? Yeah. Out of college? It, uh, no, no, it doesn't, um, they don't accept you if you're, you're too young, generally. Yeah. Even yeah. though it's a bachelor's, you know, you're getting your bachelor's, they want you to be, have some life experience. Yeah which is, I think, why people are more successful because they go into it with, like, that uh, intensity. Well, you got to prove yourself, too. I feel like L.A. is really like a uh, a meritocracy. Yeah. You know, you have to uh, prove that you're talented. Yes and no. I think that you can get a foot in the door if you know someone, but you're not necessarily going to succeed. Mm. There are a lot of really talented people that are just really struggling to get their foot in the door who aren't successful not because they're not talented but just because they haven't had an opportunity but once they get an opportunity odds are if they keep working they will get one Mm -hmm. if they get one then they most likely will be successful i mean it's true like you know where i come from there was this real like oh god la hollywood ugh, you know everything's rigged and people don't make the right films and about the australian film industry too like it's 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 terrible they make terrible movies and it's like well what I believe and what my experience has been is that if you're good, if you're humble and if you're tenacious, you're going to, you're going to get seen. Yeah. You're going to get heard yeah. at some point. It's not always fair, but like the way it happens. But I really, I mean, stories want to get feel told. Too. Yeah. Stories want to get told. And you know, the industry is like fickle with creative content. Mm-hmm. So the chances that, 
if you create something original, mm-hmm. chances are it's going to get seen, right? Mm-hmm. Because this machine just needs and wants content all of the time. Yeah, and anything that's new or different. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you can't really talk about something being good or not good. I think there isn't really an objective criteria for that. But if something moves you emotionally and is done in a, an original way, because that's the thing. I think the whole point of entertainment and art is to move people, right, emotionally mm-hmm. or to move them intellectually into a direction or into a, a different space um, spiritually or however you want to look at it. The point is that there's something moving inside of you. Mm-hmm. And if something does that, it doesn't even have to be well put together. People will want to watch it because that's the experience that people want from these products. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, even like it's funny it goes back to things aren't good or bad. Things just are because even the bad movies have value because you watch them and, you know, you know they're bad while you're watching them, but you just – they shift your perspective in some way that at least it wasn't a waste of time. Right. I don't think that I don't think that bad movies are a waste of time. I mean, that's how I know what I'm watching a good movie is because I've seen a bad one. Mm-hmm. You know, I have no idea if something's good unless I've seen the opposite. I mean, there's some super bad movies out there. Yeah, which I don't find necessary to watch anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's fine. You can just see it once. I mean, I haven't seen The Human Centipede yet. Oh, that's But I'm not going to I can't qualify it as a bad movie. <laughs> I think Mordecai, right? That's uh, a bad movie. That's a bad movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Just saw the trailer. It's a bad movie. You gotta it's a be flop. careful. Why? I don't know who was involved in Mordecai. We might know people that. Well, it's not that they're saying that they did a bad job. Mm-hmm. They may have done a good job. It was like a cast of people Ugh. that, like, no longer bring money into the box office. Well, it, this is the thing. It's like Johnny Depp's name still. I mean, maybe up until this point, meant something to me. But I looked on IMDb and like, when was the last time he made a movie that I enjoyed? When? Really, truly. It's been a decade. I mean, taking out Pirates of the Caribbean, which I, I saw when I was pi- 13. I love the Pirates movies. Right. Entertaining. But apart from that, which is one character, right? He doesn't yeah. get seven movies. That's yeah. one movie. He makes movies that like I get halfway in and I think they're going somewhere. And then I'm like, what's happening here? He's such a good actor. What is that movie that's like the uh, the Ninth Gate or the Thirteenth Gate or something like that that he was doing? And he like he he's on some quest, and then he gets it's like halfway through the movie, and it just goes off the rails, and and I don't know what's happening anymore. I haven't seen Transcendence Transcendence yet. Uh, Is it good? You seen it? No, it's terrible. This is the thing about these movies; it's that they're. In my opinion... Lucy? Did you see Lucy? No, I didn't. Was it good? No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a stupid question. It was a, a strongly bad movie. The thing about the, these bad movies is that they're bad because they're thoroughly unoriginal. Mm-hmm. Right? Like The Tourist, I remember seeing, being hopeful about, and it was terrible because it was unoriginal. And I think that's why that's why these fail, because people are going... And not experiencing anything that they haven't seen before. And it's, I mean, there are plenty of movies that give you the same thing, but they're good because they do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's sort of hard to talk about. Yeah. There we go. Um, What have you seen lately? We talked last week about American Sniper because Mm. all of the controversy 
about this guy. Right. And I started talking about it and I realized that I didn't know a lot about what was going on. So I spent a lot of the week researching Interesting. the sniper and finding out what the controversy was. Yeah. And the controversy is that apparently apparently there have been a couple of instances of things that he wrote in the book that have or said in interviews that have ended up to not be true. Right. So I think, like, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm asking everybody I know because I'm, like, fascinated by it. Mm. But um, he said that he got sent to post-Katrina yeah, and had bragged about sniping civilians that were looting right. in Katrina for the government. Right. And a newspaper in Louisiana was like, that never happened. Right. And so he's either a liar mm-hmm. or he's a guy that brags about shooting civilians whose homes are underwater, who are, like, trying to get food. Well, it's that's not the either-or. The either-or is either he's a liar or a sociopath. Right. Right. <laughs> because, I mean, and this is the thing where I think it's, like, it's really... I'm kind of out of my depth, you know, and psychologically speaking, I'm kind of just going off, you know, personal experience and articles that I've read. But I... Th- feel like when someone is put in a position where they're required to take action like people are when they're when they go to war and you know the motivation to go for going is a whole different argument but it is necessary for the human psyche to adapt right in certain ways some people come back with PTSD some people are perfectly suited to it because they are you know they are sociopaths or psychopaths and given civilian life would maybe turn violent, maybe not, you know, not all psychopaths are violent. Um, But I think that in his particular case, you know, he, he needed to develop certain things to adapt, to evolve to his environment, which then he kept choosing until he no longer chose it, you know, after however many tours, he's four tours or whatever. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So again, like I don't have the, Qualification. I I don't have the uh, the right really to make a moral judgment on whether it's right or wrong. I mm-hmm. just feel like what most likely happened was that he adapted. I don't think that he necessarily was born with this like vicious, cold blooded, racist person. But it was necessary to develop certain prejudices in order to be able to do his job. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I like I strongly disagree with violence and with those kind of wars. But I think from a human perspective, I actually, I read, you know, I was really surprised by that film because I was like, wow, Clint Eastwood's far more like right wing than I thought. And he said, he wrote that it's an anti, anti-war movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, how, how did, wow. And he's like, oh, I'm really surprised that people are using it as, as a patriotic symbol. And I'm like, what? what? You called it American Sniper and the poster has an American flag on it. You got to use military equipment, so you sat down with the American military and yeah. contracts were written. Yeah, they read the script. Someone at the Pentagon got post-approval on some of the stuff that you shot. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I think that's a weak argument and naive or whatever manipulative on his part, yeah. but... I mean, it, this, that wasn't I like... There, I think there's a lot of that time. argument that's floating around right now from like the old guard mm-hmm. because they don't realize that like the new guard sees through the veil. Right. So there's a lot of... There are a lot of old guys like on the right, I think, that are still trying to play the same game that have been yeah. played for 50 years. Yeah. And we have like the internet now. Yeah. 
you know? So yeah. we're like, dude, I know exactly who gave you money. Yep. It pops up when I scroll over your name. And we have alternate news sources that come in from, I mean, I, I've, I've read Russia today. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not so much lately, but in the past, purely for the alternate perspective, you know, and, and f- front page articles on that website were things that weren't even mentioned in the English speaking presses which was just interesting, you know. I'm not going to buy into that any more than I buy into Fox News, you know what right, I mean? Right. But it's just interesting to be like, well, there is a story there that isn't getting any coverage in, you know, The Guardian or on CNN or in Australian newspapers. Hmm, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's, that, I mean, that's it. You know, that's the whole purpose for that. It's just I like to have as broad a, um, you know, an input of news as possible. I always like whenever I travel to a foreign country, I always like watching the news Mm -hmm. because whatever they're broadcasting, you're completely detached from. Right. Right. So you see them go through the same like, you know, the first five minutes of the news covers, you know, like their version of our first five, five minutes of the news. But it's like all social issues that like you don't care anything about because you don't live in England or you don't right. live in India or you don't live in like yeah. New Zealand, you know? So you read these, th- so you, you watch these broadcasts and you're just like, you, you see how fake the news broadcast is I, I because it's fake. just it's like, just it's for, because it's, yeah, it's constructed, but it's like, oh, that must be their version of this like economic thing we're dealing with back home mm-hmm. that they're trying to like, drum up fear about you know or this might be how they want people to perceive this event that happened in their version of the middle east i think that the interesting thing about this you know i spent so much time like in being devastated by the news and by the manipulations and by you know the you know big government and big whatever and the thing, the thing is that, like, all of these things are made up of people, right? And I don't think, maybe with the exception of, like, Dick Cheney, there's no, like, single human that has, generally speaking, humans don't have malicious intent. They're not like, I'm going to steal from you right. by peddling this false news story. You know, they're serving their interests, their own interests, the, in the best way they know how. Mm-hmm. So everyone, like, it sounds so so sort of stupid to say this but it's like everyone's doing the best they can and it may not be good enough but for the most part people are acting out of fear you know fear of losing what they have Mm -hmm. and so they say no i don't want you foreigner to come into my town because you may take the job that i i have right right. you know it's fear-based it's not necessarily like people being bad do you know what i mean yeah so even because journals like i went to i did a journalism school whatever it's called um journalists set out with the intention of taking telling the truth and breaking down those walls Mm -hmm. right and getting the truth out there but what ends up happening is you watch the news and it's fear-mongering for the most part Mm -hmm. those people generally set out with the intention of doing good yeah so i mean what happened right yeah what happened along the way i don't know they became companies yeah became profit centers it's funny this tricky it's so in this book that i'm reading right now by uh, uh peter Thiel, zero to one he just talked about what you're talking about where there are two schools of thought on where competition comes from because mm-hmm. he examines businesses that 
he examines businesses that fight and compete. He says competition's never good. You always want to be a monopoly, right? As a mm-hmm. business, you want to have like sure. the lock on what you sell because right. then you can sell it for whatever you want. Um, and for some reason, people enter the market and they fight like right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how detrimental that is. But he's, he, uh, he says there are two schools of like Shakespeare believed that people fight because they're too much the same. Mm-hmm. And that was like a Romeo and Julio, Juliet argument, right. you know, because like, it, like the story starts with like two families mm-hmm. of like equal resolve or whatever. And then they like, they're just at war with each other because they're both competing over the same spot. Right. And um, the other one, I, th- I think the other example was, was Hamlet where things were, people are competing because they're different, which mm-hmm. is the point of view that you just put forward that like people are coming from all sorts of different stations and all sorts of different backgrounds and out of fear or difference, mm-hmm. they come into competition and fight. So I thought that was like an interesting argument because it's, you know, he makes the argument that in both cases, you really don't ever have to fight. Right. Exactly. He says that There's the best room thing for to, everyone. Yeah. He brings up his example. He, uh, he had started PayPal and PayPal was going along its course and Elon Musk showed up with a company called X.com and they were doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And he said he got really fearful because Elon Musk was overtaking him. And then they both, because they're like financial geniuses, saw the financial breakdown coming and they were like, oh no, if this thing goes down, we're both going down before we can even start this competition. Mm -hmm. So they like met, they were four blocks away and they met in the middle at a restaurant and they were like, we have to, we have to merge because that's wow. the only way we're going to like be able to weather the storm when the storm comes and we both know the storm's coming. Wow. So let's just like not. And he said they merged and then there was still like ego and competition within the company. Mm-hmm. And that that took several months to like work through. Mm. But then when everybody identified as being part of the same company, like they are PayPal. That's great. You know, and PayPal still, he says, he says to this day, they're still increasing like 15% a year. Wow. Wow. That's huge. Which is crazy. So you never really have to compete. Yeah. And I guess it goes, goes back to that, like scarcity and fear mongering. Yeah. You know, there's enough for everyone. Yeah. You know who you should have on here? Someone who you completely have completely opposing ideological views with because this is like this is great and this is fun and we agree and it's interesting but i would love to listen to you talk with people who are the opposite you know i have a an old boss that contacted me named chris newhan Mm -hmm. that is working over at dreamworks now and he's starting up his own podcast and he's like we should be on each other's podcasts yeah and we have like very different political views interesting very different political views so i think that will be That'll be a little. Well, I'd listen to that. A little argumentative, but uh, but we'll see. So we're coming up on the hour. Yep. That was an hour. Wow. That wasn't bad. That went super quickly. That's super quick. It's Look easy, at all right? The likes I got on my Instagram photo. It's that super I easy. Of us. Oh, you did? You posted a photo? <laughs> yeah, I did. I'll post that on the podcast nonsense Instagram account. And also on the Podcast Nonsense Twitter account. Look at that. And also on the Podcast Nonsense Facebook page. And also on the website soon. Um, if you're not listening to us on YouTube, on uh, iTunes, you should be listening to us on iTunes. Um, but give us a shout out and give us a good review. 
We'd love to hear from you, even if you've got like really nasty things to say about the podcast. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.